Welcome to Bold Faith with Courage Molina, a place where you get empowered and equipped to be who God has called you to be, do what God has called you to do, and go after everything he said you can have without hesitation or apology. Let's go. All right, let's get into this week's sermon. Good morning, good morning. As soon as I start, I want to go ahead and apologize for all the coughing this morning. I've had a horrible cough uh, for a couple days now. I do have my cough uh, drops over here, so we'll see how it goes. And I have my my water over here, so we'll see how it goes today. But welcome, welcome, welcome. I am your girl, Pastor Courage Molina, and this is Bold Faith Community Church. We are an online church for women. This is the place where women are falling in love with being in the Word of God. Um, It is a place where we are a Bible studying church, which means as a church, we are studying the same book of the Bible all week. And then I bring a lesson from that um, chapter. That means that you might need to get a Bible study guide. You might need to get a Bible study journal. You certainly want to get a Bible study partner. So you have some accountability about getting into this word on a regular basis. Be sure to drop where you are tuning in from. Good morning, Vina, Nita, I see you, Olivia, Adrian. Good morning, good morning, good morning. If this is your first time joining us, then go ahead and make sure that you subscribe to this YouTube channel. We are here Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. for Mornings in the Word. We are reading through the Chronological Bible Reading Plan. It's just a really amazing way for us to build a habit of reading the Bible every day. And it's great to have like that background knowledge. Sometimes you are listening to a sermon or somebody references something and you're like, I never heard of that. I never read that. Also, I feel like as a believer, don't you want to, when you get to heaven, don't you want to be like, I'm not one of them that never read the whole Bible. I've read every page several times over. I mean, maybe that's just me, but that is certainly how I feel. I feel like I want to know. And so you can subscribe to this channel if you're looking for some accountability and some community to be reading through the Bible with you. Um, Be sure to share this video. We're going to take like 30 seconds now so that you can share, 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 actually hit the share button, actually send it to someone. that you've taken the time to share this video. Um, Yeah, be sure that you like this video. Thanks for the reminder. Be sure that you like this video as well. It lets YouTube know that this is great content, content that viewers are engaging with, and then they will start to promote the channel as well. I'm ready to get into it. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 20 today. So go ahead and get your Bible out. If you don't have it, go ahead and get it now. We're going to read through Acts chapter 20, and I'm going to be reading that in the NIV. 
I'm going to read that in the NIV. All right, let's get into it. Acts chapter 20. There's some great names in here, so I just want to go ahead and give you a heads up. There's some interesting names as I get ready to read. Um, so y'all just show, show your girl a little bit of grace, okay? Acts 20, verse 1. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece where he stayed three months because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria. Let me go back. Let me start over. Verse one. Let me go back to verse one because I just ran through that. Okay. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece where he stayed three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of, of Pyrrhus from Berea, um, Aristarchus and Segundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby. Timothy, also Tychicus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia, also known as Turkey. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Verse 13. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asus, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asus, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chias. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I've lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me, 
that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's just get a tad bit of background, just a little bit. Just a little bit of background. Um, so it starts off talking about how at the end, how after the uproar died down, right? So right before this, um, just the day before, a few days before, there was a riot, but Paul had already made the decision to leave Ephesus when the riot broke out. Um, there was this huge riot about the Artemis, the um, goddess Artemis of the Ephesians and how Paul was trying to basically disrespect her and really ruin their money, um, keep them from getting a bag really is what the whole thing was about. And he had spent about three years there teaching and making disciples. You know, we know he was there for a bit. He started out in the synagogue. He stayed in the synagogue for three months, which was really the longest place he could stay and preach. We hadn't seen him being able to stay and preach in a synagogue that long. And then he left and went to Tyranus Hall, which was a lecture hall where he basically preached every single day, daily for two years. All right. So let's go back through and see really what we're looking at. So Paul is going from town to town encouraging the church and so these are churches where paul has been these are churches where paul has planted these are elders that he has set up people he has spoken to taught with and as he's preparing to leave this area he's just kind of doing honestly it's like a farewell farewell tour where he's going from place to place to say goodbye to them he ends up spending three months in greece once he gets to greece the reason he spends three months in greece is probably because it was the winter it would have been difficult for him to travel during the winter time. So it makes sense that he would have stayed in Greece um, during those winter months. Also, it is during this time in Greece. This is why context is so important. It's also during this time in Greece that Luke is telling us about that he writes the letter to the Romans. 
So um, after we're finished with the book of Acts, we'll start studying the book of Romans. This is Paul's letter to the Romans, right? He writes that letter to them, telling them that he plans to come and see them, that he wants to come and see them. Um, he writes that letter from Greece. He wants to go and meet them over in Rome because he's never been there, actually. He hasn't been there, and there's a church there. The church was started there by somebody else, probably somebody that was a disciple, you know, with the persecution and the spreading out of um, Christians who have been persecuted and things like that. So somebody was over in Rome. They started a church. He heard about the church. He's like, wow, that's so great. I want to come and meet y'all. And he also wanted to teach them a bit, right? Like he also wanted to make sure, because he doesn't really know who taught them. He also wants to make sure that whatever they have, whatever doctrine they have, whatever principles and ways they're living their life by, that it is accurate and sound. And so he plans to go there. Now, when he gets ready to leave, he plans to go through Syria, but there's a plot against his life. There are these men that intend to kill him. They probably want to kill him on the ship. They're probably going to kill him on the ship, throw his body off. Now, Paul is not traveling alone. So it's not like, you know, he couldn't have still got on the ship, but I guess Paul decided it wasn't worth the risk for him to be on this ship. So he just went a different route. Now, these men that are accompanying him, there are seven men that are listed. I don't think that includes Luke, because at some point you hear, let's go back to the verse. At some point, if you remember, if you remember that um, the book of Acts is written by Luke, okay? The book of Acts is written by Luke. So when there is a narrative in the book of Acts and he says, on the first day of the week, we came together. Let me go back. I think it goes back. Let's go back to verse five. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. At some point, that means that Luke, excuse me, um, again, joined Paul. Now, we saw that he joined Paul for a while, and then he probably got dropped off somewhere, or he ended up staying somewhere for a few years. And so now here we can see that Luke has joined uh, this group of married men again. We can see that by the language where he talks about us. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, um, verse 6. But we sailed from Philippi, which says that Luke is now with them after the festivals of, of unleavened bread. And five days later, joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days on the first day of the week we came together to break bread that means that luke is with him at this case at this time we're just going to be good to know in just a second so but these other men that are with him these seven men who've come from all these other places those other places actually represent um churches places where paul has planted a church and these seven men um these seven men are carrying donations from their churches that they want to take to Jerusalem because Jerusalem as a church is really struggling. So they're the people of Jerusalem, uh, the church in Jerusalem, they're really struggling financially. And so uh, Paul has all of these men, they all represent the churches that they come from with a donation from their individual or their prospective churches that they're going to take with them to Jerusalem. This is so good. Let's just take a seat here for a second, because we know that Paul preached to both the Greek and the Jew, that Paul pe preached to the Jew and the Gentile. And there was always a little bit of um, 
you know, a little bit of, I don't want to say beef, but a little bit of discord between them, between the Jews and the Gentiles. There were people who didn't want to see that or they wanted the Gentiles to become Jews or trying to see if the, the Gentiles had to do what the Jews did, all of these things, right? What's beautiful about this is this is really showing some serious unity that they are one as a church, that it doesn't matter that they are Gentile or Jew because these are Gentile churches for the record that are taking donations to the Jewish church, uh, the church in Jerusalem. That's the one that Peter started. We know that it is mostly uh, Jewish converts to the way who, you know, repented and came to know Christ, but they were Jews first and then they converted to um, Christianity. And so there's this beautiful unity that you get to see here when you see that these people are representative. Now, why he had them go with him? One, Paul very rarely travels alone, which just makes sense to me. Somebody always trying to kill him. Also, we were made to do things alone. A lot of times, I think we forget, yes, our purpose is for us, but it doesn't mean that God intends for us to work our purpose out alone. Uh, the Bible often talks about woe, woe to him who who walks along because when he fall, because there's going to be some type of difficulty. So very rarely do we see Paul traveling alone anyway, but one, he could make sure that there was no um, thought about whether or not he was going to use the money for whatever. And two, to actually have a human physical representation of Gentiles who were here to support their brothers and sisters who previously were not brothers and sisters, but they are brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that is a beautiful thing. Um, and then we see they stay through the festival of unleavened bread. That, them staying through the festival of unleavened bread to the ancient readers would have given some insight that we may not have. I don't know if you notice this. One of the things that I do when I go through um, my Bible, and I recommend you do this as well, is I circle all of the um, references to time. All Any reference to time. I circle and I just I happen to circle in that in green. Go ahead. You can use that. I circle it in green. Any reference to time. So that means if it's a if it uh, if it's a festival, if it says in the time when so and so was in charge, days, weeks, hours, time of the day, I circle all of those. Right. And so this is one of those sections, chapter 20, where there's a lot more circling than I normally do. Right. Because of the, the, the time. The reason I'm telling you this is because you have to remember that the Bible, this book of Acts was written for ancient readers and ancient readers would have had an understanding immediately of the days and times that were left. So if Paul wanted to get to um, Paul wanted to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost, one ancient readers would have known how long it would take him to do so and how many days were available because um, there are 50 days between the Passover and Pentecost. And so if they do seven days, the festival of unleavened bread is seven days, and then they wait five days, and then seven days. They got like 42 days left, 42 days to get from where they're going to Pentecost. And so um, as they move from place to place, you continue to see the next day, then two days later, then three days later, then the day after that, then the day after that. So you can see how much time they have. It also colors an understanding of, um, you know, how Paul's moving, really, how Paul's moving. And so um, so they leave from there. Now they're in Troas. So they've left um, this area. They've left Greece, and now they're in Troas. And when they get there, they break bread. The breaking of bread 
It's not like just sitting down having a meal with somebody. These people are not sitting down having a meal with people that are not their people. Okay, they're not. It's not like a cafeteria where you're just sitting and eating with anybody. To sit down and break bread with somebody, the Lord's Supper. To sit down and do that. That means I um have respect for you. It means that you have respect for me, and it also shows a level of closeness. Excuse me. <clears throat> it also shows this level of closeness in relationships. So they're there, they're breaking bread. Paul talks all night long because he knows that he's leaving. He talks till midnight. I want you to imagine for a second um, somebody that you love that you haven't seen in a long time. And so they're just coming through town and they're only going to be here for one night and then they're going to be gone. And you have no idea when you're going to see them again, if you will even see them again, how you would be willing to stay up, chat it up. First of all, people come to your house to visit for vacation and y'all spend that first night talking half the night like y'all not going to be there together for three days, right? Like, that's the thing that happens. Well, that's what's happening here. That, again, shows the true fellowship between Paul and this community and between the community. <laughs> I did not use an atlas. I certainly felt like I needed to use a map, though. Um, somebody's asking me in the chat if I used an atlas during this study. I did it only be only because I have a study Bible that has like a little map in it. And so I can see where they all are. Um, but I did have to do a little research with how long it takes them to go from place to place. Anyway, I digress. Um, so this right here goes to show you the level of intimacy and relationship that they have um, with one another because they're breaking bread and that's not just something they do. The fact that they're there all night long, this is not like a comfortable space. It's not like they're in the synagogue or even in a lecture hall. It is late. This is on a Sunday for the record. So Saturday is the day that you'll be teaching in the synagogue. This is on a Sunday. And on a Sunday, Sunday's the first day of the week. Most of these people worked that day. So they worked all day. Her Paul was in town. They went and got something to eat with Paul afterwards. And then after working all day, probably doing something labor intensive outside, right? After they did that, then they set up in this room where they had to have lanterns. That tells us something else that the ancient leaders would have understood that might be missed on us. Those lanterns are oil burning fire lanterns. I don't know what other lanterns there are. Oil burning fire lanterns, which means it's a little, first of all, they're on the third floor. It means it's kind of warm and that that um, oil burning lanterns, they giving off this mm, smell, this gas, this heat, this something that could make a person drowsy. So it's not the most comfortable room for them to be in. Doesn't matter, though. They stay there all night long. OK, right till midnight at midnight, Eutychus, who is anywhere between the ages of like eight and 14, eight to 14. I know that's a big thing, but. That's the best I got for you. Eutychus is between the ages of 8 and 14. He's sitting in the window. There wouldn't have been a lot of windows. And even if there were a lot of windows, uh, there wouldn't have been glass or, or um, screen in the window. Not at this time, right? So it's just an open air window. Clearly, you could just fall right out of it. And so he's sitting in the windowsill. He falls asleep. And then he falls to his actual death. The reason I think it's important that you realize that Luke was there is because Luke is a physician. Yes, he's a historian, but he's an actual doctor. So if anybody would know whether or not he was asleep 
or passed out or just bumped his head or something, it would be Luke. Luke is the one that's reporting this. Luke is there. He's telling you the boy was dead. The boy was dead. Okay. So the boy falls to his death. And then Paul goes down. He stretches out over the boy's body, right? Paul goes down. He stretches out over the boy's body. And he's like, nope, he's not dead. He's alive. This is very reminiscent of what happened with um, the Shunammite woman who was that prophet Elisha. Elisha's like stretched out over the boy. And then he is resurrected. It is really given, um, I don't want to say deja vu, but it is really puts me in the mind of that. So that is what Paul does here. This resurrection is witnessed by everybody that was there to break bread. Everybody that was there to bake, break bread, anybody that was outside, and I don't know who would have been outside at midnight. Maybe nobody else was outside at midnight. But everybody who was in that room to break bread and listening to Paul talk all night long, they got a first eye, firsthand eyewitness to seeing the resurrection of this young boy, Eutychus. And then after Paul's done with that, he goes up, he breaks bread, he continues talking until dawn, until sunlight. The family's so excited that the boy's alive. They stay there. They listen. All right, now it's time to go. They go. Um, and so then Paul moves on. This is where you start to really see they travel from here to here. So they're traveling from Asus to Midland to Caius to Samos. And then they arrived at Miletus. Listen, Paul is in a hurry to reach Jerusalem by Pentecost. Again, context is so important. Why is it important for him um, why is so, why is it so important for him to get there to at Pentecost? Pentecost is really a celebration of God's <clears throat> excuse me goodness and provision. I was I want to okay listen let me do this again. Pentecost is really a celebration of God's goodness and His provision. And with Paul are seven men who have donations from their church, from their Gentile churches, to take to Jerusalem, which for all intents and purposes is a Jewish Christian church. During this celebration, this time of celebrating God's provision. Do you see the connection there? They are bringing provision for them in their time of need. And Paul wants to get there at the time of the celebration about God's provision because God has certainly provided. It doesn't matter who it's coming from. It doesn't matter who's putting coins in the collection plate, who's writing a check, who's it's coming from the Lord, right? Our provision comes from God. Sometimes we can miss that, especially if you have a regular job, you go to work, you go, you know, you go in the work and then they pay you on a certain day at a certain time. And so you can sometimes forget that God is your provider. It doesn't really matter where the donations are coming from. This is about God's provision and this unity that they are all the same brothers and sisters in Christ, that God is not making a distinction and that they are not making a distinction and that there doesn't need to be a distinction between the Gentiles, the Greeks and the Jews. So Paul is pressed. His his mission in the beginning was for him to go and uh, spread the gospel. And so we could see that he made some of those decisions as he traveled along through these previous chapters where he was going. He went there, he sat up, he did what he always did. He went to the synagogue, but now his mission has changed. His mission has changed from 
going from city to city to spread the good news, his mission now is to get to Jerusalem as fast as he possibly can. Right now, his, his new mission, there's a pivot in the mission, and that is to get to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has told him to go there. So he's in hurry to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. So he doesn't stop in Ephesus. He doesn't stop in Ephesus, this place that he was in where he set up a church and, you know, there are elders there. He doesn't stop. He skips there and he sends for the elders of Ephesus to come and meet him. They come to meet him. He greets them, encourages them. And then he speaks about the past, the present, and the future before he moves on. In the past, he's talking about what he did, how he preached day in and day out, um, how he didn't spare any good thing. Let's go to that. Let's see if we can go to that. Let's go to verse, excuse me. Let's go to verse 18. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 18. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. I came and did the Lord's work, even though there were some problems, even though there were some issues, even though there was a plot against my life. I still came and I did so with great humility and with tears, even though I, there was a ton of severe testing and plots against my life. Verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. You know, I didn't hold nothing back. You know, I didn't water down this gospel. I said the hard things. If things were difficult for you to hear, I didn't shy away from them. I said whatever needed to be said to you to help you. I taught you both publicly out in the public and I was willing to come into your home. Verse 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. I taught the same message to both Jews and Greeks I didn't mix up the message. I did not change up the message. I didn't do any of that. I kept with what the message was. I didn't switch it up. And it's the same for everybody. Everybody's got to do the same thing. Repent. Everybody's got to do the same thing. Repent and have faith in our Lord Jesus. That's the past. He also talks to them about the present, that he is currently headed to Jerusalem where trouble awaits him. He already knows this. Um, we're going to continue. Verse 22. And now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now listen, he is saying, I, the, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how things are going to turn out. But with every city that I've been in on this little journey, the Holy Spirit continues to reveal to me that there is hardship and there is prison. But I don't even care. I don't even care. The only thing I care about is what the Lord has called me to do. I don't care about anything else. Then he talks to them about the future. When I leave this place, there are going to be wolves that will come through, savage wolves that will come in among you and they will not spare the flock. 
you have been, he's telling them that they have been charged by the Holy Spirit. They've been selected. Leadership has been selected by the Holy Spirit to watch over the flock. He uses this word. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of any blood, for I have not hesitated to proclaim my will. Okay, verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. Shepherd. You've We've read that. We've seen that. You know, we've seen that before. We know that word shepherd is somebody who takes care of or works with sheep. But here's the thing. The ancient readers would have understood that... The ancient readers would have understood exactly what a shepherd does, right? What a shepherd's life is like and what the relationship is between the shepherd and the flock. The shepherd is sleeping in the pen with the flock. You understand? The shepherd is taking care of them, making them feel safe, overlooking for them. The shepherd is deciding where to go, <clears throat> excuse me, to make sure that there is water that they can get to. The shepherd is doing what is necessary. The shepherd will break a leg if he has to, to protect um, the sheep. The shepherd will fight any enemy that comes in to mess with the flock. And so this is what Paul is saying to the elders. I want you to, I want you to focus on being a shepherd to this church that God has died to provide. Not just leaders, not just people who are reigning over, dictating, telling them what to do, keeping them in line, but somebody who is among them. The shepherd is not the shepherd is not separated from the flock. The shepherd is among the flock. I don't know if you know that ancient readers would have known that. And the people he's talking to, these elders of Ephesus, this is an agricultural economy. They would have known that, too, that shepherds are not separated. They're not elevated above the flock. They are among them, yes, overseeing them and protecting them, but not in a dictating, cruel, just exercising my power over you type of way. Everything the shepherd does is for the good of the flock, not for the good of the shepherd. I'm going to say that again. Everything the shepherd does is for the good of the flock. So Paul is telling them to take care of God's church that he died so that the church would be, you know, he shed his own blood so that we would have a church, right? Um, he's letting them know that danger would come not just from the outside, that it wouldn't just come from outsiders, that it wouldn't just be savage wolves that would come from the outside, but there would be people among them that would distort the truth so that they could get some clout. There would be some people, it's going to be some people on the inside. So many people talk about church hurt, and I know church hurt, you know, I get it. I get it. But I think sometimes we don't expect, and I don't know why, that's because we don't read our Bible, honestly. No tea, no shade, because we're not studying our Bible. I don't know why we don't expect to see problems from within the church, to see people come up and do things that should not be done from within the church. Paul is warning them of this and telling them to stay on guard, to pay attention. Be on guard for this thing. This thing is going to happen. It's going to come from the outside. But don't just be looking on the outside that you don't think it's something that's going to come from the inside. There's going to be some distortion so that they, so that people can follow them as well. All right? Um, so he's telling them to keep God that there's going to be danger. And then he hits them with a the thing that really breaks their heart, that they will never see him again. Y'all are never going to see me again. 
But let me just say this. Even though y'all never going to see me again, y'all are now responsible for your own faithfulness because I gave you everything that you needed to give. I'm, I've given you this thing. I've given you the word from God. I'm now committing you over to God. I was here with you. I taught you. I've equipped you. Now it's on you. If you should turn away from what you've been taught, that blood is not on my hands. He's telling the leaders, you are now responsible for your own faithfulness. And they are also responsible for taking care of the flock, you know, as they are God-appointed leaders. Paul reminds them then of the example that he set. He is telling them, he's giving them more instruction on what it looks like to lead, that they are to lead by example. He's saying, you know how I did it. You know, I didn't come here. I didn't ask for nothing from y'all. I didn't take y'all gold, your silver. I didn't take y'all clothes, but I worked. I did my own work with these own hands. My own hands provided for me and those that were with me, right? Paul reminded them of the example he set by working and giving. You are trying to figure out what it looks like. You ain't got to try to figure out. You've seen it before and you saw me do it. You saw how I worked and I didn't ask y'all for nothing so that I was able to give. That is when he gives this um, this quote by Jesus because Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He's telling them to focus on giving. He's, he's not telling them to give to him necessarily. He's saying everybody, especially leaders, you should be focused on giving. It's not, it's not an excuse for us not to give because it's better for us to give than to receive. And so if I give, it means this other person is receiving. What Paul is saying is that our focus as individuals needs to be on giving and helping. So that means my focus is on giving and helping and your focus should be on giving and helping, right? Um, and then there is this emotional goodbye. And they just love Paul so much. They can't even move on. They can't even let the man, you know, that last city he was in, he was in Troas. And then he moved on by himself. Uh-uh. These folks like, let us walk you to the ship. And so they walk with him and he talks with them even more from there as they walk with him to the ship. Right. And so um, those are the things that happen. Now, I want to share with you five lessons. I only got five this time because last time I had nine and then we couldn't get through them. I went over time and I want to respect your time. Plus we meet in the bold life groups at 9 a.m. EST. And so um, I want to make sure that we have time to get in there and I don't take time away from you guys. All right. So five lessons. If you haven't taken any notes, first of all, I don't know why you ain't taking on those, but if you haven't taken any notes, this is a good time for you to take some notes now, okay? This is a good time for you to take some notes now. So go ahead, get ready. If you haven't taken any notes, uh, let me delete and block my uh, this distraction over here. I don't want it to be a distraction for y'all. Um, all right, user was blocked. Okay, okay, okay. It just be like that. Sometimes, you know what I'm saying? The enemy try to get in where he fit in. And that's, you know, that's cool. But you got to be ready and willing to put him out. You know, you got to also be ready to put him out. It's so inappropriate. Like, what are you doing with your life? Get a grip. All right. Lesson number one. Um, the route. And you can type these note takers are history makers. Let's go. I hear you. 
Note takers are history makers. All right, number one, and y'all can write these in the chat for me, okay? Write these in the chat for me. The route may change, but the destination does not. I'll say that again. The route may change, but the destination does not. So Paul plans to go somewhere um, at the start. He wants to go, he's going somewhere, but he's going to go through Syria. His plan was he had a route plan that he was going to go through um, Syria. But then he found out that they wanted to kill him. And so he had to change his route. TC, you know what I'm saying? How he changed his route, but he didn't change his destination. I wonder how many of you are changing your destination. How many of you are facing opposition? And because there's opposition or because the road that you plan to go on isn't going as smoothly as you thought it would go, instead of trying to found, find a new route, you've decided that the destination that you were going to is no longer yours. The route may change, but the destination does not. And I'm talking to purpose people. When you are living out purpose, when you are chasing purpose, when you've said yes to the call on your life, you have to know that you will face resistance, you will face opposition, that there will be weapons formed against you. That is not an indicator that the destination that you have set out for has changed. It's just that the route has changed. I need to I need to find a new way to do it. I thought I could get there from here, but I can see that there's a block in the road. And so now I'm just going to find a new way to do it. Paul didn't miss a beat. He did not skip a beat. He didn't take two or three days to say, Oh, I'm not going to do it. I wonder how many of us would be further along in our journey if we took some time to discover a new route or to choose a new route and gave up. Sometimes we are so committed to the process. People will say, trust the process. I say bump the process and trust the Lord in the process. I know that God is taking me to a place. And so if the place that I know that God has sent me, I thought I could go there using route A. I thought I could get there. I'm from Charlotte. I thought I could get there using 485, but it turns out that there's blockage, that there's, there's an accident on 485 or somebody set something up on 45. I need to take 77 or I might need to take 85 or I might need to take a back road or I might need to get on a plane or I might need to get in a boat or I might need to take a bicycle or I might need to hike or something. How many of you face some opposition and because there's some opposition, now you don't think that you're going to get to the place that you wanted to in your fitness. You don't think that you're going to get to the place that you wanted to in your finances, in your marriage, in your ministry. When it comes to this work in this marketplace that God has called you to do, it's not working the way you thought it was going to work. It's not, you, you had a plan. I love a good plan. Anybody that's ever worked with me as a client, um, for those of you who are new here, I'm not only a pastor, I'm also a coach. And so for those of you who have worked with me as a client, then you know I am team make a plan. Like even in the conversation that we have after church, I'm like, okay, let's get a plan going. Let's get some actionable steps. Okay, that's the best plan I can come up with with what I know right now. When I get new information that says it's not going to work that way, it doesn't mean it's not going to work. It means exactly that. It's not going to work that way. So I have to find another way because God didn't change the call on my life because there is a boulder in the road, because there's a fork in the road, because there's some opposition, because somebody has laid out a trap for me. God did not warn me about the trap. I didn't get the eyes and the insight or the understanding about what was to come so that I could quit. I got it so that I could pivot. The route may change, but the destination does not. Lesson number two, don't allow discomfort to keep you from getting equipped. 
Number two, don't allow discomfort to keep you from getting equipped. They were upstairs, third floor, after work, hot, muggy. Um, it was probably thick in there. So last night I have I have this awful cold. I'm waiting on my buterol. Any other day here won't be here till Monday. Good holiday. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so there's a humidifier in here. I also closed the vent so I don't get the air in here. I woke up at like three o'clock in the morning, baby. It was so thick in here. <clears throat> Excuse me. When I tell y'all it was thick in here, I mean, I, I had my fan turned on. I had to turn my fan up. Baby, it was thick and uncomfortable in this place. Okay? Thick and uncomfortable. And that is what I imagined it was like on the third floor after they worked all day. They probably was a little bit tired, but they didn't allow their tiredness, their discomfort to keep them from getting equipped. You are allowing television, I said what I said, to keep you from getting equipped. You're allowing excuses to keep you from getting equipped. You need to be showing up for things. You're not showing up because you're tired. Girl, bye. You're not showing up to get equipped for the call on your life. I wonder how tired Paul was after all that traveling. And then he sat there and then he talked until midnight. Then he went down and resurrected somebody. And then he got back up and he continued to talk until the next day. I wonder how many of those people had to go to work the next day. It's the first day of the week, they said. First day of the week back then was Sunday. So this is probably Sunday night. People worked on Sunday. The Sabbath was the day people didn't work. People worked on Sunday. So these folks went to work, came, stayed up, not just till midnight, stayed up till the next day. I wonder how many of those people had to go to work the next day. They had to be exhausted. But you are allowing small things to keep you from getting equipped. And then you want to play victim as to why you can't do the things that God has called you to do. No, boo, sometimes you got to be uncomfortable. Sometimes it's sometimes you got to be tired. Sometimes you need to have a cup of coffee. Or Red Bull gives you wings. Or sometimes you might need to take a quick little nap or something. But we cannot allow discomfort to keep us from being equipped. One of the things that we see, this thread that we see about Paul, is that Paul is so consistent. And now we can see these people are committed. They are committed like Paul. You understand what I'm saying? These folks are committed to getting a good word. These folks are committed to hearing this word because they're not, they know, right? I think we sometimes grace ourselves out of our next level. So it's like, okay, well, if I miss it this round, if I miss it this round, it's fine. I can just do it next year. If I miss it this week, that's fine. I can just do it in January. If I miss it, it's all right. I could just do it. But, but, but we just be like, oh, it's fine. Everything just be so fine to us. No, don't allow discomfort to keep you from getting equipped. Stop making excuses. And the reason I'm telling you to stop making these excuses is because there's a call in your life. And your call is attached to somebody's freedom. And nobody got time to be playing with y'all. Stop playing. Don't allow discomfort to keep you from getting equipped. Number three. There isn't anything the power of God can't do. That includes using you. Lesson number three, there isn't anything the power of God can't do. Nothing. There isn't anything that the power of God cannot do. Paul raised a boy from the dead. He not Jesus. Paul ain't Jesus, but he got the power of God in him. 
There isn't anything that the power of God can't do, including using you. If you let him, Paul allowed himself to be used by God. It's a little side note. Paul allowed himself to be used by God. I wonder how many of you are refusing to be used by God. You say out of one side of your neck, Lord, use me. And at the other side, you don't think the Lord can use you. There isn't anything that the power of God can't do, including using you. Yes, you were broken, but you're not broke. Yes, you've been through some things. Yes, you were wounded. Yes, you were messy. Yes, you were a mess. Yes, you did this and you did that. All of those things are true, but there isn't anything the power of God can't do, including using you. There's so many people talking about women can't preach. Man, if y'all don't shut up, there isn't anything the power of God can't do. You saying God can't use me? Stop. His power is good and it stops just short of using women to preach the word. He can use a donkey, but he can't use a woman. Stop. He can't use you because of your background. He can't bless the work of your hands because of your platform. There isn't anything the power of God can't do, but you got to be willing to be used by him. Paul was willing. He didn't just look down and see the boy was dead and was like, dang, that's messed up. How you going to let the boy die while I'm standing right here? He was like, uh-uh, let me go down here and use this power of God. He allowed himself to be used. Lesson number four, purpose work requires that your priority matches God's priority. Purpose work. You can do whatever work you want to do. I'm only talking to a purpose. I'm talking to the purpose chasing nation. Shout out to my friend Erica Denise Davenport. Y'all not a part of that community, the purpose chasing nation. It's an amazing community to be a part of. If you are not a purpose chaser, if you have not said yes to the call on your life, if you don't intend to be used by God, you're just here because you just, you like me and you, you know, your friends are here and you just want to get a little word of encouragement, but you don't intend to do anything with it. Cool. I ain't talking to you. I'm talking to those of you who are committed to purpose work that requires that your priority matches God's priority. And it's a funny thing. Especially in the marketplace, in ministry, child, in marriage, in money. The Lord be tripping. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you right now. I'm trying to tell you. God's got a purpose for your marriage, for your money, for your mindset, for your ministry. He's got a purpose for those of you who've been called to entrepreneurship in the marketplace. There's a purpose. But that means that my priorities have got to match God's priorities, even when it doesn't make sense. Purpose work requires that your priority matches God's priority. That is just the expectation. That's what it has to be. There's no other way to do it because that is how God is guiding you. We see that with Paul. Paul's like, I don't care about none of that. The only thing I care about is this. <clears throat> and you can see that throughout the life of Paul. When you see the impact and the influence that Paul has had, not just during his life, but since his life right now in 2023, we're talking about him and how he did and what he did and what he said, right? Even right now in 2023, how did he live a life of legacy like this? He made God's priority his priority. I wonder what God's priority is for your life right now. Some of you think it's marketplace, but really it's ministry. <laughs> I know you don't like that, but I don't care. I'm here to tell you the truth. Some of you think it's marketplace, but really it's ministry. And that's just what it is. And I'm not saying for forever. I'm saying priority in this season. 
Who knows what he has for you after? But right now in this season, you need to be asking yourself, what is God's priority for me? Some of you think the priority is the marriage, but really the priority is your mental health. Some of you think that the priority is your mental health, but really the priority is getting your money right. Because if you got your money right, then some of the things that you're dealing with in your mind wouldn't be a thing. I don't know who that's for, but what I'm saying to you is, if you're going to do this purpose work, it requires that your priority matches God's priority. Last but certainly not least, purpose work requires a by any means necessary attitude. By any means necessary. Um whatever it takes attitude purpose work requires a by any means necessary attitude that is what is required by any means necessary do y'all know that reference by any means necessary um the late great malcolm x would talk about that would use that uh would say by any means necessary as he talked about um civil rights and justice and and that type of thing right this is what he was talking about by any means necessary and what that meant was it didn't really like whatever it took to get civil rights he was down for it whatever it took whatever and so you need to have that attitude when it comes to your purpose work we can see that paul had a by any means necessary attitude when it came to his purpose because he was willing to work. Some of you need to work in order to get your ministry off the floor, right? Some of you need to cut back on your bills because God is calling you not in your spending because God is calling you not to work in this season so you can focus on your ministry, right? But whatever means is necessary for you as an individual when you are doing this purpose work, you have to be willing to do it. I remember there was a time where I was unwilling to go back to work. I don't care what it takes. I ain't going back to work. If that means I got to get on food stamps, do this, do that, lose the house, lose the car. I don't care. I ain't doing it. That was the right attitude for that season. And this season, I'm like, Lord, whatever you need me to do, you need me to go on somebody's job so I can devote the time that I need to devote to this ministry and I can do the work that you've called me to do, but I need to take care of myself financially. Do you need me to go back to work? Because your girl will go back to work. Like, Whatever you, you do, you need me to do okay. Well, whatever you need me to do, this is what I'm gonna do. This is fine. You need me to go to counseling, okay. You know what? I'm gonna get a therapist, honey. I'm gonna go ahead and get a therapist. You need me to start fasting. Some, I mean, some of y'all, you won't even fast for your purpose. Oh, let me get off of that. I ain't gonna mess with y'all today. I ain't gonna do it. I ain't gonna do it. But you have to have a by any means necessary if that requires fasting, if that requires, um. You know, giving up something, if it requires sacrificing, if it requires going to work, if it requires quitting my job, if it requires asking for help. Some of y'all would rather choke than open up your mouth and ask for help and support. If it means investing, have to pay for something in order to do this work. Um, if it means pulling an all-nighter, whatever, like by any means necessary as it relates to this purpose. Whatever I got to do, Lord, to do this, I'm not going to let anything get in my way. Sometimes there's something that you know you need to do and you will allow your ignorance to keep you from doing it. So, for example, you'll be like, oh, well, I don't know how to do that. Okay, well, you better Google. You better hire somebody. You better buy a book, watch a class, YouTube, it's something. You don't get to say, I don't know how to do it, knowing that that's the thing that God has called you to do. Uh-uh, they don't work like that. 
Oh, I know that the Lord wants me to be a good steward of my money, but I just don't know how to do it. You better get you a budget. Hire you somebody. Google it. Download something. Watch some documentaries. Order you a budget thing from Amazon. Something. You don't get to just be like, oh, I don't know how to do it. This is what the Lord wants me to do. By any means, whatever it takes for me to do the work that God has called me to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. One of the first things that we have to do, though, before we can do anything, is we have to make sure that we are in right relationship with God. And that was one of the things that Paul was preaching, repentance and faith in God, faith in Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to get to know him. I want to invite you right now to accept him as not only your savior, right? Someone who died for you, right? He saved you by dying for you, but also your Lord. The one whose will and way you will follow to the end of your days. Say this prayer with me. Father, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe that you raised him from the dead. I now accept him as my Lord and Savior. I accept the gift of salvation right now. Thank you, Father God, for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for giving me eternal life with you. Amen. Listen, the word of God says, if you said it and you believe it, then you're saved. And so I want to be the first to welcome you to the family of God. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Now, listen, your relationship with Christ is an individual one, but it's not meant to be done, <coughs> excuse me, in isolation. Go ahead and send us an email, praise at boldfaithchurch.org, and someone from the care team will get some resources in your hand and will help you with your next steps as you start out this faith walk. Maybe you are coming back and you said that as a way to rededicate your life, or you've decided that Bold Faith Community Church is your church home. Go ahead and send us an email, praise at boldfaithchurch.org, and let us know. I pray that this has blessed you. If you want us, if you want to help us. Get this message and messages like this all over the world, into homes, connecting with women, then we love your support. You can go to boldfaithchurch.org and give your tithes and offering. You can set up reoccurring giving or even a one-time gift. Let the Lord uh, move you on how much to give, but you can give as little as $1 because dollars stack, y'all. So little is a lot when the Lord gets into it. We know that there isn't anything that the power of God can't do. Um, and so go ahead and give whatever the Lord puts on your heart to give. Don't worry about how much the Lord will handle that. Okay. Now, listen, we are not done. Be sure before you go to like this video. If you haven't subscribed, you decided to kind of wait. You didn't know how good this video was going to be like, but now you see weird truth out here. Go ahead and subscribe to this uh, video, subscribe to this channel and get prepared right now to join us um, as we gather for our Bold Life group. To get more information at our Bold Life group, you can go to boldfaithchurch.org, get more information for how you can get involved, how you can join one of these Bold Life groups. Um, all right, and so we'll see you guys in the conversation. Don't miss that, that's the best part, in my opinion. All right, I love y'all, later.
If this episode has blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else so that you too can be a blessing. If you'd like to connect with us and help us to do the work that God has called us to do, you can give at boldfaithchurch.org. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at boldfaithchurch and connect with me at Courage Molina. Thanks so much. Be sure to catch the next episode right here.